Welcome to the Deep End by On Deck, a podcast where visionary builders, creators, and thinkers discuss world-changing stories and ideas. I'm your host, Marshall Kozlov. Inadequate nutrition or, or improper nutrition is the number one co- cause of chronic disease in the U.S. It's responsible for over 700,000 deaths per year um, and has a massive impact on our overall healthcare system. And so if we can take a more preventative approach from a kind of holistic nutrition approach, the macro and the micronutrients, to support better cellular health, better kind of choices, uh, that can have a massive impact across chronic care, across how people are feeling from common health conditions, and ultimately on kind of the overall healthcare system. On Deck is where ambitious people worldwide go to start companies, find their next roles, and invest in their careers. Deepin invites the founders, operators, and investors from the On Deck community and beyond to turn their experiences into the ideas others need to start their own odysseys. Joining me this week in the Deep End is Rachel Sanders, co-founder and CEO at Routine, a company focused on optimizing health and performance through precision nutrition. For Routine, Precision health and nutrition involves looking at hundreds of data points to identify your nutritional deficiencies and sending tailored supplements to optimize your health along with a way of tracking what's working. Our discussion focuses on why there's no one-size-fits-all solution to health and wellness, what cellular nutrition means and how it supports overall health, and what the future of health will look like now that consumers have access to more data than ever before. As someone in what Rachel calls the connected health consumer demographic, I was energized by this conversation because it offers us a window into the way that tech-enabled health and nutrition is likely to progress over the next 10 years, a future that is more data-driven, precise for every individual, and incorporating tight feedback loops to determine what really works and what doesn't. It's an exciting glimpse into the progress happening in health and wellness. Let's dive in. Rachel Sanders, welcome to the Deep End. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to speak with you too. What's great about this topic is this is very much news you can use, but also it's, I think, interesting from a um, startup business perspective. So how about you just start by introducing um, your company and what it is that you actually do? Yeah, definitely. So Routine is focused on optimizing health and human performance uh, with precision nutrition. And basically what that means is we combine lab tests with connected health data to deliver actionable science-backed insights, tailored supplements to improve your health based on those insights and a way to track if it's working. Plus, we have a really engaged community that helps tie the entire Routine member experience together. So you really are talking to a potential customer type. Um, when you look at me, I have my Whoop here. There is an Apple Watch discarded somewhere. What that means, though, is that my demographic is, let's just say, overexposed to technology, claims, etc. How would you, separate from just being a startup founder, advise that folks navigate the health and nutrition space right now? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. And and that's one of the problems that we're solving here at Routine is that 
there is no one-size-fits-all solution for your health and wellness. It is really personalized. And what's exciting about today is we have the ability to have access to our health data. You said you have a Whoop, you have an Apple Watch. I wear both as well. Um, but people can track their sleep. They can track their metabolic health. We have now have access to at-home blood testing, at-home genetic testing, which we at Routine offer as well. Uh, but there's this opportunity to use that data to get curated recommendations, personalized products, and things that work for you individually versus trying to navigate the noise without looking at your data first because it it's hard and it just doesn't work. Okay, it's interesting that you two have the Whoop Apple Watch um, combo. Aside from not being the most aesthetically pleasing combo, could you actually? Uh, that's always a debate I go with. Um, is it proper to wear both at the same time? But no. So can you then? Given that you use those products, where does everything that Routine's building fit into, let's say, the health nutrition stack for like the average consumer? Yeah, definitely. So what we're really targeting at Routine is is optimal cellular nutrition. And that means that our cells are functioning properly. They're doing everything they need to do to support all of our biological processes, everything from sleeping well to maintaining good metabolic health, mood balance, recovery, fitness gains to kind of chronic chronic care management and prevention. And uh, we do that and and by kind of ensuring that you get this this optimal cellular nutrition through routine, you're supporting the rest of your fitness goals and the rest of your fitness journey or health and fitness journey. I'd love to learn more about what you mean when you refer to the cellular part, because I think what drives a lot of health decisions for folks is, for example, as I started to age, I started to notice, hey, like you're not quite recovering at the gym as quickly as you used to, or hey, you're not quite capable of doing this thing you used to do in the past. So the whoop made a lot of sense for me. How would consumers start feeling maybe like the symptoms or even just the need to care about their cellular health? Yeah. I mean, when you think about cellular health, it's really our cells are what's performing everything that we do. They're, is, they're helping us as I said, sleep well, they're helping us recover well. Um, and making sure your cellular health is optimized is really important to kind of how you're feeling and the symptoms that you may or may not be experiencing. The problem that can happen is genetic variations can alter the structures of our cells so they don't function the way that they should. Um, or lifestyle habits can create harmful environments for for your cells. And, and that can come out in your blood not having the proper vitamin and mineral um, levels to help them function the, the way that they need to. And so if you think about like, are you someone that's experiencing fatigue? Are you um, dealing with poor sleep habits? Is it something where your immune health, um, you feel like it's compromised? Or are you really just getting older and, and looking to figure out how to feel less like you're getting older, uh, which is something that um, a lot of people experience when they kind of hit their late 20s, early 30s, things start to break. And so are you supporting your optimal health both for the short term, but also for the long term? And there's a good quote on your website that I'd like you to reflect on, which is, I envision a world in which precision nutrition enables optimum health and we're scaling routine to do just that. So can you just unpack that statement, especially what exactly precision nutrition is and then what optimum health is going to look like in an individual? Yeah, that's that's a great question. So our, our mission here is to really enable people to leverage their data to achieve optimal health through nutrition. And that's kind of a similar kind of concept to that statement. And, and as we look at what the future of health, what the future of nutrition looks like, 
we're using precision medicine approaches. So multi-omics said in a more kind of clear way is we look at hundreds of data points across what's happening in your blood, in your genetics, in your in your lifestyle, in your microbiome um, to make decisions around your health, specifically in medicine, targeted treatments based on what you need as an individual. This approach is also emerging on the nutrition side, um, and this is concept and category of precision nutrition. The NIH, the National Institute of Health, just invested, I think it's over a billion dollars over 10 years um, into precision nutrition research. Uh, it's a category that is forthcoming, and, and we're one of the foremost or earliest companies here where we look at over 100 health data points per member today uh, to really dial in on specific needs and requirements around kind of the micronutrients, so the vitamins, minerals, and especially compounds that your body needs and utilizes to feel its best. And as we think about kind of a broad nutrition on a broader scale, that's the macronutrients, so it's the fats, proteins, carbs, as well as the micronutrients that matter. And inadequate nutrition or, or improper nutrition is the number one co cause of chronic disease in the U.S. It's responsible for over 700,000 deaths per year um, and has a massive impact on our overall healthcare system. And so if we can take a more preventative approach from a kind of holistic nutrition approach, the macro and the micronutrients, to support better cellular health, better kind of choices, uh, that can have a massive impact across chronic care, across how people are feeling from common health conditions, and ultimately on kind of the overall healthcare system. Yeah, I'd like you to answer this question almost on a meta level as a founder. When you just hear phrases such as future of health and future of nutrition, there's a lot packed into there. And I think anyone, whether they're a founder or just a person who consumes basic things, has probably experienced a bunch of swings just over the past decade or so when it comes to fads, expectations, underlying science, those parts. So how do you just think about that frame as you're building this company? Yeah. So looking at the future of health, we'll just we'll start there. Uh, consumers today have more access to data than they've ever had before. It's going to be a $165 billion industry in the next six years of at-home health testing as well as connected wearables. That concept is not going away. Technology is advancing. People's interest in understanding their body is continuing to advance. And so that, that is the underpinning for kind of where the future of health is going. It's data-driven. It's precise per individual because with that data, that means we have the ability to understand on a more personal level what works and what doesn't and tie that back into populations as well. Um, and it's also something where people care about what's the science, What's the science for me and is it working? Um, and that data, that same piece of data allows us to, to build in feedback loops to understand what's working and what's not and dynamically update recommendations, products, um, and services accordingly for, for each person. So the future, to put in a couple of words, is precise, it's data-driven, um, and there are tight feedback loops to figure out what's working and what's not. And when it comes to the nutrition side of that angle, are those pretty much similar answers or is there a distinction that we can draw out? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's it's a similar concept. So if you take what the future of health looks like, it's also the future of nutrition. And as we all know, nutrition is health and health is nutrition. And so taking those same approaches where it's precise, it's data-driven, it's based on research and science and kind of continuing that the science and research forward as well uh, is how I think about what the future of nutrition looks like. 
I'd like to learn more about who your typical customer is. Because something my friends and I often talk about, because once again, like we're in this cohort of 29 to 32-year-olds who are basically buying everything that could be thrown at us, is if you go to your website, you've got a really cool section up front where you see professional athletes. So I've you know, you've got Brian Burns, NFL player, Brianna Decker, three times Olympic medalist, Taylor Gold, Olympic snowboarder, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You've got them. But obviously, most people are not professional athletes and are not um, needing to operate at that level. So, A, can you just speak to just working with athletes? And then how does, beyond just the very obvious, I'm not entering the Olympics in four years, how does my nutritional and even consumer experience differ from theirs? Yeah, I mean, I would say that the consumer experience doesn't differ, but the majority of our customers are not professional athletes that are going to the Olympics in four years. Not really um, scalable target, from a yeah. business perspective. <laughs> our target... <laughs> Our target consumer is really like 30s to 50s and, and what we call the connected health consumer. So there's this new type of DIY health consumer that is interested in using data to make better, more personalized health decisions. They want items that are science-backed and they want to know if it's working, similar to kind of that future that we just talked about. 30 to 50% of those people are already comfortable with in-home diagnostics. People are tracking their health with things like WHOOP, Aura, Apple Watch, Fitbit. And when you look at the market, it's about 50% of US adults has some sort of health tracker today. Uh, so it's a much broader audience than professional athletes. Uh, and it's really for people, people come to us who looking to support total body health, members report improvements across energy, across sleep, lower stress levels, mood balance, and things like that. So if you're dealing with specific, more common conditions that you're looking to understand what's going on, what are the root causes, and, and how do you support your health both in the short term and long term, those are those are our customers. And you know, I'm really interested by this connected health consumer idea because once again, not to over read into my own personal situation, but I've just found that for a lot of folks, the, the Apple Watch, the Whoop, the Fitbit, it's it's akin to a fashion slash lifestyle accessory. So I feel cool at the gym when people see my Whoop. People feel the same thing with their Apple Watch, but I will admit that I am not quite using the data that I should be. So what what do you think is the gap between folks actually optimizing relative to the technology they have, relative to, frankly, these things are just cool and it's cool to have cool things. Yeah. I mean, data is just one part of the equation, right? Like data means nothing without insights and insights really mean nothing without mechanisms for behavioral change or kind of easy, easy services and products built on top of it. And so at how we think about it specifically at routine is, is we look at all of your data, but we don't stop there. We also give you insights. We also build N equals one product, so truly personalized solutions directly from those insights and support you in a way to kind of track progress over time as a behavioral change mechanism. And so you're not the only one that's not using the data effectively. Um, the m majority of people aren't, but the data is the first step in, in how we kind of think about this going forward. Because without the data, you can't really build on top of it, but there's much more products, services, and support to be built on top of the data that we're getting access to. And that's true not just with wearables, but it's true with at-home blood testing, at-home genetic testing. Um, there's going to be kind of continuous cortisol testing, continuous ketone testing. Like there's all of this testing and innovation that's happening there. And so there needs to be the same innovation on the products and services side to make it easy for the average consumer to improve their health with that data. 
Yeah, I'd love for you to talk about testing because I also <laughs> this episode is really me as a consumer speaking. I also like subscribe to direct direct to consumer um, vibrant products, and the the mix that I get every month was determined by like a survey. Um, in terms of, okay, here's a, here's a, here's like an intake, here's a survey, this, 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 and that. But it's obviously like not data and lab driven. So can you really talk about what is the next level that you're getting once you're actually factoring in the things you're focused on? Yeah. I mean, if you're not measuring your body, you don't know what you need or what's working. And so surveys are the first step in terms of, okay, what am I feeling? What do, um, at least for routine, like what does your diet look like? What foods do you avoid? Uh, how much do you sleep? What is those lifestyle and kind of health habit analysis around it? Because that all does matter. Uh, but then we go several layers deeper. We look at your genetics because your genetics have a proven impact on how your body processes or utilizes different nutrients. It also, your genetics also play a role in um, how much support you need around kind of more common health conditions. And then blood levels allow you to kind of see what's going on in your body at a current at a current time. Collectively, we look at over 100 health data points per member. And so it's really a comprehensive view of what's going on in your body and what you're doing from a lifestyle perspective to give you a much more dialed in and specific recommendation. And as we think about the future, that's really where we're going. This wasn't possible five, 10 years ago mm. because it was too expensive to do all of this. Um, and the at-home testing wasn't, people didn't understand it. Um, but now we're at a point where people are doing COVID tests that are uncomfortable at home on a daily basis. They understand the value of health data. They understand how to advocate for themselves a lot better. Um, and they know there's people are starting to come around to this concept of, oh, like a lifestyle survey isn't the whole picture. So yeah, what else gets you the whole picture? Yeah, because I, I like the way you just put that because a few years ago, that definitely did feel very engaging and unique. But just once again, as COVID has gone on, it actually does feel uh, far less engaged. So speaking of this not being possible five or 10 years ago, I'd love to hear just more about your background and how you actually came into and got excited about the space. Yeah. When I realized, I realized it's now 2022 and we founded the company in 2018. So it was possible five years ago or like four to five years ago, um, 10 years ago now. But yeah, my background. So I really started my career learning about the entire healthcare ecosystem as an investment banker and saw that companies in the kind of more chronic care management space were using data and technology in really innovative ways to improve how their patients experience their care, but also improve patient outcomes. And at the same time, I was dealing with my own more common health conditions, fatigue, stress, burnout, things that investment banker uh, investment bankers experience. And I was having to use more of a manual guess and check methodology to figure out what was wrong and how to fix it. And I saw this opportunity, a broader opportunity to take what was happening back when I started my career in more kind of traditional health services, chronic care, uh, into a more lifestyle and prevention focused world, because I saw that that's where, where things were going. And that's why I went to go get my MBA, spent two years at Harvard really looking at where I could make an impact, where um, people needed kind of this new technology, and ultimately launched my first startup, learned a lot about startup operations, and through that connected with our co-founder, Daniel. He has a PhD in biotechnology, uh, and he had spent the his entire career, 10 plus years, 
building out consumer-facing prevention and health products focused around nutrition using health data points, starting first with genetics, but also layering on other biomarkers. Uh, also a serial entrepreneur taking his first company from founding through IPO. So together, we really saw this opportunity kind of combining my experience with his experience to build a better solution in the nutrition uh, area for consumers and, and help people not experience what I had experienced and really solve those common health conditions by leveraging data and, and helping people improve their health. You know, and it's funny, as you're talking, I'm realizing we've spoken with more than 60 founders on the podcast, and I think you may be the first one who came from the investment banking space. I'd be curious um, if you could talk about how actually surveying the healthcare ecosystem, like how that was either useful or not useful when it came to actually becoming a founder yourself. Yeah, what's interesting about my investment banking experience versus many others is I worked at a middle market bank, Raymond James, specifically focused on healthcare. And so what that meant is we were doing 90% M&A transactions working directly with founders most of the time. So it was probably like the second time that they're either raising capital or they had raised a bit of capital before through VC and they're now selling their business. And so I was a lot closer to this side of things than most bankers are. And it we were also a relatively small team. So me as a second year analyst was basically acting like an associate and I was there for four years. So my associate, I was running entire diligence processes, um, understanding how all of the operations, all of the data, all of the financials work together and what it looked like um, and how to kind of communicate across the, across the table. And so all of these things, not only was I learning all aspects of healthcare, so we didn't just do one type of healthcare, we really did everything across services and tech. So I would see, I don't know, I probably saw 50 plus deals while I was there, um, mm. all different business models, all different understanding who's, how are the patients experiencing the care? What's the patient facing portion of it? How are, who's paying for it? How does the healthcare kind of ecosystem on the payer provider side work? Ultimately, as you think about building healthcare, healthcare businesses and even the direct to consumer, you see like really well, their enterprise now, um, whoops, going enterprise in a second, in, in a sense, like a lot of these companies kind of think about it. And so for me, building in the consumer health space, I know how the traditional services work. I understand how health, kind of consumer health can fit in with traditional services. And I also know what those players for all of those people look like and how to talk to them. And so I learned a lot of that from my experience, whereas most like one to two year IB analysts at a bulge bracket are not going to have that similar kind of understanding. Yeah, because I, I had a very specific uh, image of you um, somewhere in Manhattan. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, not that you couldn't have been in New York for this, but like it's very, like you, you're describing a, a different level uh, of experience there. So, in the second part of your background that's really interesting is just the fact that you went and got an MBA. Um, and mm -hmm. there's like this perpetual MBA debate. Um, for founders or, or or folks who are thinking about this, like what was what, what was that experience like, and 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 how do, where do you basically stand on that question then, and then that question now? Thinking about where I was coming from, so I knew a lot about healthcare, I knew a lot about finance, but I had never operated before. And starting a company was something that was interesting, but I also kind of saw what was going on. I talked to those founders for four years. I kind of looked at myself and was like, I want to make an impact. I want to do this. I want to build something. I want to create value. Um, and so for me, taking two years to experiment and learn everything beyond finance felt like a really good decision. Um, and I also had 
had seen kind of looking at the 2010-2011 class of female founders out of HBS. Um, you've got the Birchbox founders, you have the Rent the Runway founders, Alexa Von Tobel was there kind of around that same time. There's just a, a broad list. The Havenly founder, who's now um, one of our on one of our cap table or on our cap table, one of the Havenly founders, all came out of HBS around that that same time when I was kind of thinking about it and creating that structure. And so that was really the decision I made and I, I thought going into it and then looking back, um, I would 100% do it over and over and over again. The network itself has been invaluable as you think about that starting a company. Some people get that network from other places from where they work originally. Some people start their career in a high growth startup that IPOs and then create that network. For me, school was a great place to do that. It also gave me time to experiment. I was able to launch my first startup. I have some of the kind of best mentors, one of our early investors. I met through professors there. Uh, a lot of my investors are, I've met through that that network. Um, and I also really learned more across operations um, and everything beyond finance in a way that I couldn't have just working for a single company for two years. Yeah, and I'm also realizing when you give that timeline in terms of 2011, this is also post Great Recession. Um, so yep. that is not so business school is is not the worst um, place in the world to be during I that went period. In, I went in 2015, but I was as I was kind of I started banking back in 2011, so oh, recession, okay. yeah. post recession. But seeing kind of understanding at that point, like a lot of those companies were reaching an inflection point that was really mm -hmm. interesting. Um, and they were the ones, as I think about like what founders, how do you think about this? Um, those are the kind of the, the mentors or the, the folks that I was looking at as I was thinking about the business school decision. Of course. So then I think a, a useful place to go would be, um, especially in your business, there's before COVID, like you said, you started in 2018, there's after COVID. Um, obviously, the company is going to look different. Um, so there's the very obvious question of like, wow, it's been five years. How are things going? But I think the question I'm specifically interested in thinking about is how did spring 2020 shift things for you, for the company as it did for basically, well, literally everybody, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. Um, spring 2020 was an interesting time as an early stage founder. So we were... We obviously are. We're, we're in the business of health and, and specifically around prevention. And this was the first time, I would say, in recent human history that people started thinking about it again, like at a broad scale. So mm. we knew that the best way to help and prevent kind of getting infected or, or getting COVID or getting a really bad case of it was to take care of our, our ourselves. Um, there was really nothing else back in spring of 2020 that, that people could do. Um, and so... On one hand, we were in the place of being able to help people optimize their health, optimize their soil nutrition, try to help them kind of get to the healthiest version of themselves. On the other, we're early stage, likely planning on raising funding around the time COVID hit. Um, and we were a small team and there was a lot of uncertainty going on. And so we really looked inward. We looked at our mission. We looked at, okay, how can we help more people? How can we keep the business afloat? Um, how can we not have to raise funding for like six to nine more months from here? Because you think March 2020, uh, no one knows what's going on. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, we looked at products. We launched a number of new kind of opportunities. We grew the ability for people to get helpful products and insights from us and really narrowed in on kind of what we 
wanted to be building and and kept kept strong to our mission and ultimately made it through uh, that that time of uncertainty. But I also think kind of fast forward a year, like let's call it spring of 2020, um, what we saw happening back in 2018, 2019, when we launched this concept of people want more access to their data, at-home health testing is going to explode. Um, All of these kind of insights that not everyone believed in, all of a sudden fast forward two years, came into effect at a much faster rate than anyone anticipated. Um, And so all of this, all of everything from at-home diagnostics to telemedicine to more convenient health services just accelerated. And so we kind of saw more people understand what we were doing, want what we were doing, and have that market expand at a much faster rate in front of our eyes. You know, it's interesting as you were describing that. Um, once again, at the website, y'all, y'all have a nice website. It's very aesthetically pleasing. So, props to whoever who did that. But like, I'm I'm looking at um, you know the one, two, three, four steps, and the second test is just testing your genes and biomarkers. And I was just thinking to your point, wow, just given COVID, testing just seems far more routine. Um, just as a category of something that you do as a human being is trying to be healthy. So, can you just talk to and maybe, and once again, there are people with diabetes. So, like, obviously, the, you know, taking a prick has been a thing for a while. But, like, have you seen at a, let's just say, broader perspective, like the perception shift um, for that step? Yeah, definitely. So, our 99% of our members add some sort of additional data beyond lifestyle, and that's genetics or blood level and or blood levels. And so, from a member base, we know that people want testing. We're also selling more testing. People are also purchasing more testing from us. So it's not, they're not just buying one test, they're buying multiple tests. And so from the business standpoint, we can see that it's accelerating, but also from a kind of market standpoint, it's hard to do this. But if you think back in the mindset, like let's call it early 2020, and someone was going to send you a test that you do at home, people were nervous. Like it was still a category that was existing, but like people were nervous about it. They didn't understand it. They didn't know why they're insurance company wouldn't pay for it. They didn't know why they would do it personally. And that concept, that like fear still exists, but at a much, much smaller level because you're, I mean, people are sticking um, swabs up their nose and like making themselves uncomfortable on a weekly basis at this point. And so the the potential like discomfort of, of a finger prick or like a cheek swab is is not as much of a barrier. But it's also interesting like there's there's a lot of innovations on the testing side that are making it easier to get information in a less invasive way. Yeah, and speaking of information, your website signup flow actually asks for a 23andme or ancestry.com data. So like is there is there a way that that could be used like usefully or is that is that or is that, or is that more of like a doohickey? Yeah, so we um 50% of people that use DNA data will um, use a test through us and the other uh, 50% will input data they already have. Uh, and we we believe going forward that making data and, and our process much more interoperable, so being able to connect in with wearables, connect in with the ways that people are already testing and tracking their health is really important. Yeah, so for the three last questions here, the first one would be, as we've discussed, like the, the the vitamin space, and I know it's more than just, but but at a core level, like the, this, like nutrition space is very crowded. How do you, 
How do you think of how to avoid becoming just another commodity product that's just undifferentiated? From the, like, how do you, how do you like as a founder think through that problem? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. It's uh, the global nutrition industry is a seven hundred billion dollar industry. It's growing at one of the fastest rates for kind of overall the industry overall. Eighty percent of people take some sort of nutrition supplement. There's a lot of players. There's going to continue to be more players. Um, we are by far the most personalized and data-driven approach already. Um, and we're building out, we're more than a vitamin company. Um, we're, we're more of a health platform. We have testing, uh, we deliver insights, we deliver personalized, uh, the personalized precision multivitamin membership, um, as well as have a community and, and a tracking element. So it's much more than another vitamin that you're going to get at CVS or Walgreens. Uh, it's a it's a holistic kind of comprehensive system to to solve some of your common health conditions, solve and support your common health conditions. Yeah, no, and and that's the answer. So we kind of answered it just now, though. But I'll ask it very directly. What's what what is your articulation of of the vision and the future then? Yeah, I mean, that's as we think about the mission, which is to enable people to leverage their data to achieve optimal health through nutrition. Uh, that mission comes comes to fruition by building out a much more comprehensive platform, inclusive of kind of the precision technology that we already have, as well as the data, precision nutrition products, insights, community, and coaching going forward. Great, and uh, for to wrap this, um, you know, you were you participated in On Deck Scale program. This is an On Deck podcast, so I'd love for you just to um, talk about your On Deck Scale experience for any founders who are interested um, and think it could be of use. Yeah, I've I've loved the experience on On Deck Scale. I think I was the second cohort, um, and it's definitely been a way to connect with a lot of other founders. I think this is one of the best kind of mid stage. I guess we're still most people are still early stage, but it's not it's not an accelerator where people are just starting their businesses. It's it's people that have raised money that are dealing with similar kind of team culture, operational fundraising partnership challenges and being able to be in a cohort of people that are all kind of experiencing something similar, even if it's in completely different businesses, has been really helpful um, as we think about scaling. And I've also really loved the masterminds um, that have that scale offers and kind of creating that kind of group atmosphere, allowing people the space and time to talk about more of the challenges because being a founder is hard. Yeah, uh, understatement. As a podcaster who speaks to founders, um, that's the understatement of the of the century. Um, okay, so Rachel, to close us out, then could you please just tell people where they should go um, to learn more about routine and everything that y'all are building? Yeah, definitely. So you can find our tests. Uh, so we offer two blood tests and a DNA test, as well as our precision multivitamin membership by going to routine.co, which is R-O-O-T-I-N-E dot C-O. You can also find us on social at routine underscore co. You can find me on Twitter at Rachel S. Sanders. Rachel, thank you for joining us in the deep end. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. Thanks for joining us in the deep end. If you enjoyed your stay, give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with your friends and colleagues to help grow the show with us. We've also got show notes and more episodes available at ideas.beyonddeck.com. See you next time.